Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people, to experience the compassionate love of the Father, and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. made it. You're here. (laughs) I want to specifically think about uh, a precious lady that started attending our church and two years ago on a December snowy day she talked her husband, uh, tricked her husband if you will into bringing her to church and uh, she's like well are you going to sit out here in the truck or are you going to come in with me? Oh I guess I'll come in with you. Make sure you get in the door okay, you know. So he shuffled in and notices his name on the record books here in Platte County High School as being the the leading scorer, 51 points in a game. And uh, I think that hooked him. And he would always sit in the back. You maybe have heard me tell this story before because he always said, if my sermon's not any good, he can get up and leave without it being a distraction. Which, by the way, if you ever have to get up and leave early, let me know, all right? Say, hey, Pastor, we got to go. Nothing against the sermon. Love the sermon, but we got to go, all right? Because I'm, I'm, I get distracted pretty easily. I'm like, why are they leaving? I'm having this mental conver- in my conversation in my head. Like, did I say something that offended them? I don't know. Hope you come back to church <laughs> next week. Um, so this lady, she was coming to church, and her husband as a result of that day, he started really getting more interested in the Bible, and he started to read more, and uh, the day that he passed away in his house, all of a sudden, he was almost done with the Old Testament. He had just about got to Matthew. And today, at 2 o'clock, we'll gather at the fairgrounds here in Platte County, and we will remember Stanley, Carl Stanley George a legend in our community, a gentle giant. And we just want to think about Sandy today as she kind of puts that final stamp on uh, Stanley's uh, memory here and his impact here in our community. So let's pray. Father, I, here we are in church, and we bring our hurts to church, and we lift up Sandy to you today as, she, as we memorialize, as we remember this life that touched so many people here in our community Obviously, my heart is that people will want to go back to church as a result of Stanley's service today. More than that, the people will want to put their faith and their hope in Jesus so that they will be prepared for the day when it's their time to be called home. God, would you be glorified? Would life come in the midst of death? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Though it is full of broken and imperfect people, the local church is still the hope of the world. I don't know if you can allow that to impact you this morning, that what we are doing here has eternal significance. How the church goes in a community, whether it's alive and vibrant and making a difference in the community, well, it just does that. It makes a difference in the community. And if the church is dead and there's no life in it, the community gets affected by that. Still the hope of the world. 
Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be, be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know, like through the church, there's this like, uh, there's this, I don't, it's a battle in heavenly places. There's a church saying, yeah, well, we got Jesus. What do you got? And then there's the enemy saying, yeah, well, I've got all these other things that distract people away from Jesus. What do you think about that? And we're like, but we think our Jesus is better. Not only do we think he's better, we think he's going to win in the end. Like, don't you, isn't it be awesome to know, like when you go back and watch a, like um, our, our Jayhawks didn't really do that great this year in the Big 12, and here our K-State people are wearing it proudly. Um, but, you know, I know that the Jayhawks won yesterday, but what if I, what if I um, went back and watched the game? Wouldn't I watch it differently now that I know they already won? Doesn't that help us approach life a little bit differently, knowing that we already win? That the church is going to be victorious and, that, and, I, and I'm kind of I'm jumping ahead already, but Jesus is coming back to claim what belongs to him, and that's the church, you know? Not just this church. There's going to be people who belong to him, and like we already win in the end. That should change the way we live it, live it out today. Hopefully it has an impact on us today. And this, this idea of manifold wisdom, you know, the word manifold was actually a, uh, was a Greek word that talked about a beautiful um, garment, a beautiful tapestry woven into an expensive garment that someone of royalty would wear. That's the church. You are, a, you are a tapestry. You are woven together in something beautiful that impacts those who see it, or though should impact those who see it. We are a beautiful tapestry. The church, the body of Christ, I believe, is, as we read in Matthew, is at the center of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. I've come to establish my work here on earth, and it's going to be different than anything you've ever seen before. We're going to live differently than what you've seen before. It's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be better than the past. When we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of that. It's part of inviting the kingdom to come and be present with us here. This past week, we read the Gospel of Matthew. We've learned about this kingdom that we're now a part of, and we're called to live in that kingdom. So I want to give you this morning, I'm going to give you the seven C's, okay, C, the letter C, apostrophe S, the seven C's of the kingdom that we can find in the book of Matthew. All right, you ready? Ready to go? So turn to, to Matthew chapter 4, right, the seven C's. Now I got this strange fear inside of me right now that my tablet's going to die in the middle of my sermon. So if it does, I'm going to have to like plug it in. I brought my computer to plug it in. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But if it does, you'll know why. That'll give you a chance to stand up and stretch and you know, get ready to jump back in. So the seven C's, so words that start with a C, okay? Starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. The first C is the calling. Jesus says, come follow me. He calls people to come follow me. He calls them away from where they were at, what they were doing, to something completely new. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. Why were they doing that? Scripture gives the answer, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. But Jesus says, I've got something different for you to do now. The calling is, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And I love this response. At once, they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, it says, they left the boat and their, and their father and followed him. Okay, listen to this. Leaving everything behind is the key to finding everything you need. Did you hear that? Leaving everything behind is the key to finding everything that you need. The next C is the class. It's the class that Jesus taught. It's, it's Christianity 101. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like he gathers them together. Let me teach you the way that you are now supposed to live. It's literally a, a picture of the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, which are called the way to live. And Jesus says, okay, what I've learned from that, I'm going to teach you a new way to live, and I'm going to give you this, this teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. So we had a class, and he says, here is a new way to live. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar and literally turns the way that we're supposed to live upside down. He says some incredible things. He says some crazy, like, cross-cultural, just challenges people right where they're at. And he teaches, for one, he teaches about the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, so just a little bit over from where you're at, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. He says these incredible things like, um, happy are, blessed are, um, full of joy are, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you would think, how can those people be blessed if they're poor in something? That doesn't make sense in this culture that they were living in. It doesn't make sense in our culture. We can't imagine anybody who's poor being blessed. But yet Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we think about those who have lost loved ones. And I always tell people, empty yourself out of the mourning, because then you will have something, um, you have this space for you to receive the comfort that comes from God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That doesn't make sense. We think blessed are the strong and the, the powerful, those who rule over everybody else. Jesus says, not in my kingdom. No, in my kingdom, the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for all of the wealth of the world and all of the power and all of this prestige and success. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matter of fact, the pursuit of of all these other things, a lot of times is it becoming an empty pursuit, and we end up being the opposite of filled. And Jesus said, this is different in my kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you'll be persecuted too. And then Jesus says at the end of this discourse, he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Listen to these words. In this, this, in, after the, the Beatitudes, he tells us how to love. He teaches us how to forgive. He teaches us how to pray. And he teaches us not to worry. It's hard to do. Man, you just watch the news and you can start worrying. 
All right, the next C, compassion. Jesus is the compassionate Savior. When he saw them, in, in different times throughout the book of Matthew, it says when he saw them, it's when he had compassion for them. He's challenging us to open our eyes to see those around us that are hurting. We had the youth come over to our church or our house on Wednesday night, and I was talking to them about, hey, have you ever thought, like when you walk through the hallways of your school, to open your eyes and have compassion and look around you, see who is hurting around you? Because I promise you, if you start looking, you will find them. And who knows that maybe it is that God has placed you there at that particular time to at least somehow, some way encourage them and relieve their suffering. Three different places in the book of Matthew. Matthew 9, uh, verse 36, Matthew 14, verse 14, and Matthew 20, verse 34. Listen to what it says. 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Fourteen, fourteen. when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, it says he ran the other way because he's like, I don't want to deal with these people. They're wearing me out. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I have felt that way, and that's really unusual for me because I'm a people person. I'm looking around for who can I talk to? Who can I visit with? And they're all like running away from me, like, don't come talk to me. I'm trying to shop. I'm at the grocery store. Leave me alone. You know? Drives my wife crazy. She's out in the car like, it's going to be 30 minutes. He went in to get milk. I'm milking the cow and leading the guy that owns the cow to Jesus. I don't know. I'm like, but it says, when Jesus in land, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And then the last example was in Matthew 20. Verse 34, don't feel compelled to go to all these. I'm just sharing these with you. You can write them down or go to them later. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes immediately. They received sight and they followed him. I think there's something powerful about this, the compassion that Jesus had. And listen, he is wanting to transfer that to you and me. The church, the body must be compassionate people. Our hearts have to be broken by the things that break God's heart. Number four, the confession. The great confession. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18. And the great question and the great confession is, who do you say that I am? It says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which was, by the way, a pretty seedy area, a lot of stuff going on in that place, and, and I think it's, it's just ironic that Jesus was in this place where there was so much um, pagan worship going on and different things that are going on at this particular place. And it says he asked the disciples, you say, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? What are, what's the word on the street? What are people saying? What is, what is, what's going on on social media? What's, what's the word about me? What are people saying? What are they tweeting about me? That's a modern day translation for you. That's not really what they were saying in Scripture, but 
they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some of the people didn't realize John the Baptist had had his head cut off, so there's no way that Jesus could be John the Baptist, but they're thinking maybe he's the one they were talking about. Others say he's Elijah, that he's come back, you know, to, to lead his people. And so others say maybe he's Jeremiah, one of the other great prophets. Who, who knows who Jesus is? I have conversations with people, and maybe some of you have too. I'm sure Brady Rogers does, and he asks this question, who do you say Jesus is? Depending on who it is you're talking to, a lot of people have, most of the time, great things to say about Jesus. He was a really good person, a good moral person. He was a prophet, not as great as some prophets, but he was a prophet. He was a good teacher, taught with authority. People followed him. He had a, he had a huge Twitter following. He was massive. Like he, was, he went viral, Jesus did. He was a good dude. And then Jesus asked this question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, this is the great confession. This is the confession that we hold on to today in the Christian church. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Those are powerful words. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I'll tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's how powerful the church is. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. I bet you didn't know that's where you were coming today. That when you walked in the church, like the gates of hell cannot stop us. They cannot do anything against what it is that we're doing here but isn't it funny that the enemy uses all kinds of ploys to keep people out of here? You know, but once you get here, and once you get connected, and once you start really following Jesus, man, you realize that you're a part of an organization that will overcome death and hell itself. I don't know. That should make you excited. The Chiefs will never be able to overcome hell. They couldn't even beat the Patriots. Can I get a name? <laughs> I seriously. Tom Brady. <laughs> the church is for the hurting. If you need some counseling later on because of that, we'll meet you right over here, all right? Brady Rogers will pray over you for that to be released from you. <laughs> Let that go, all right? It's baseball season. And then Salvador Perez got hurt. What is the deal? All we have left is soccer, really, to be excited about. And can you really be excited about soccer? I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. I'm a, I've got off the rug, okay? <laughs> got to get back on the rug. <laughs> My wife is like, rabbit trail, you're chasing rabbits. Get back over here. Who you say Jesus is makes a difference in this life and the life to come. Can I get an amen? amen. Peter's confession was the foundation of the church. Now li listen to this. But your confession keeps building the church. Like, we are a part of building. The, Peter says, I'll lay the foundation. Now I need some people to come in and, like, like, stud up some walls, you know. I need some people to do some drywall. I need some people with some different gifts to come and make this thing grow. We, our confession of Jesus keeps building the church, and it'll keep building it until Jesus comes back to take us away from all this stuff. Number five, the commandments. Matthew 22 the two great commandments, love God, love others. 
Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. A man came to Jesus as teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, they started out with just ten laws, the ten, the ten commandments, and then they added more and more and more to these laws, the things you had to do to, to, to somehow fulfill it, to live according to the way that they say you should live, the teachers of the law of the day or whatever it is. And churches are guilty of that today. We add all these parameters, all these things you're supposed to do and you can and cannot do. And we, if you've been reading your New Testament, you know Paul is dealing with that with some of the churches. Like, hey, he's telling people, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean. You can't be mad at someone just because they're eating bacon and you're not eating bacon. Or maybe you're eating too much bacon and they're not eating enough. That doesn't matter. Jesus says what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. He deals with the, the, the teachers of the law in Matthew, man. He, he nails them to the wall. You hypocrites, he says. You look great on the outside, but on the inside you're rotten and you stink. And that's a danger for the church of America. We can look really good on the outside. We can build big buildings and we can do incredible things and people will come, we can put rock shows and we can smoke and lights and whatever. We can look great on the outside, but if our hearts are impure and unholy and we're devouring one another with our words, really? Is that the picture of the church that he's painting for us here? No. And that's the one thing I struggle about the church the most is like, do I have to put on a show for these people to show up? Do we have to give some things away to get people to fill the seats? That wears me out, you all. I'm just being honest with you. It wears me out. And I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Jesus said, I've got a new way to live. I'm going to take all of the law and the prophets, and I'm going to use four words to sum it up for you. Love God, love others. That's church. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the way you're supposed to to live and all these other things that we want to hang on people that they've got to do or cannot do or whatever it is it just weighs people down nobody wants a part of that it's too hard so jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is it like it, it says love your neighbors yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments and so i wrote in my notes the ten commandments summarized in four words if you look at the Ten Commandments, you'll see it's all about loving God and loving others. Number six, the challenge. The challenge comes in Matthew chapter 25. The challenge comes when Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. And he challenges them what it looks like to really be a follower of Jesus. What are you doing for those that are hurting? Are you looking out for people who have no place to live? Are you looking out for people who, are, who need clothing? People who are um, hungry? People who are thirsty? People who are sick? People who are in prison? We're really just starting to tap into it, but, you know, that prison ministry thing. Jacob preached in prison. The worship team went to prison. And it's, an, it's a fruitful time, isn't it, Jacob? People, they're hungry for the Word of God. They're excited to be in what they can call church there, behind bars. But some of them people are more free than you are. And they're in prison. So whatever we've done for the least of these, that's our marching orders as a church. And if you want to, if you ever wanted to sit down and look at the numbers and see where we're spending our money, you'll find out we're spending our money in a lot of places like that. People who are, who are the least of these. 
And that's where we want to stay. That's, where, that's who we want to be. That's the mandate for us as a church. Because Jesus said, uh, Jesus says, if you're not doing this, you'll have no place with me in, in heaven. Like you'll be, I'm going to separate you from those who are doing these things. That's a pretty clear word from the Lord. That's the challenge that we have as the body of Christ. Listen to this quote from a guy named John Piper. One truth is that when the gospel takes root in our souls, it impels us out toward the alleviation of all unjust suffering in this age. That's what love does. Like when we get so compelled by his love, we are looking around to say, how can we be a part of relieving the suffering in our, in our world? There's another truth that comes right after that. It says the other truth is that when the gospel takes root in our souls, it awakens us to the horrible reality of an eternal suffering in hell under the wrath of a just and an omnipotent God. It impels us to rescue the perishing, to warn people to flee from the wrath that is to come. That's a perfect segue into the last seed. The commission. Matthew 28. And the word that sticks out on this commission is just go. <laughs> go. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, it says they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, listen, this phrase, but some doubted, has messed with me for a long time. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is it? What is he talking about? If you look in the message translation of the Bible, it says, but some um, held back, not willing to risk themselves fully. Um, this word doubted actually is a word distazo, which means hesitation. And it, it might just be something to do with the fact that some people were like, is this too good to be true? Is this man really, did he really come back from the dead? <laughs> and is he really leaving? Where is he going now? He came back. Now, is, he, is he really then going to come back and take us to be with him? I mean, that's what he says he's going to do. But there's this sense of like, I'm not so sure. And some of you sit in the room today and you're like, I'm not so sure about Jesus. It's not that you, you don't doubt his existence, that he ever existed or whatever. But you're like, can I really trust him fully with everything that I have? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you're like, you know what, I haven't been baptized, I need to get baptized, when can we do that, when can we get baptized? Uh, you just get a hold of me personally and we'll figure out a way to make that happen. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know that in the beginning of Matthew when it says Jesus, he's, he's been given this name, and his name is Emmanuel, that God is with us? And that Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I'm going physically, but the Holy Spirit will come and be with you. And I will be with you until I come again to take you to be with me. And I saw this quote online. I posted it online. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission by merely going to church. We are the church. Therefore, be the church wherever you go. How we live brings heaven to earth. We pray this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, how we live matters, and it brings heaven to earth. We have a part to play in God's redemptive plan and this process. All right, we're almost done. Here's just a few bonus C words. 
They're foundational to our faith. Really, all these other seeds are kind of built on these. All right, obviously one of them is the crucifixion. Jesus paid for your sin. And he paid for my sin. And that should affect us. And then, there's the resurrection that conquered death. I love this quote that I came across. Goliath was slain by his own sword. (laughs) Think about that. And death was destroyed by its own captive. Death had thought it had won, but it didn't realize what it was they were dealing with. And Jesus conquered death. And then I talked about it earlier. There's one final C. Jesus is coming back someday to claim that which what belongs to him. My question to you today is who do you say Jesus is Do you belong to him? If you don't belong to him, confess with your mouth today, Jesus, you are my Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he conquered death on your behalf so that someday when we're speaking at your memorial service on a Sunday afternoon or whenever it is, we will grieve, but we will grieve with hope because you know the Lord Jesus and you know the resurrection and you know that this is not the end of your story. Listen, as we go from this place, that's our responsibility to let people know about that story. As the worship team comes, let us pray. We, um, Lord, we, we can't do anything to impress you. All we can do is give ourselves back to you for what it is you've done for us. Let us put these words into practice today. Let us build our house, our life on a strong foundation so that when challenges come, when the, when the storms of life come, we'll not be like our house built on the sand and it won't be blown away. We can stand firm and the others can say, I don't know how you do it. How are you able to get through it? And we can just point them to the builder of that house point them to you. So move, Lord, in us and through us. Have your way today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.